0: Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk.
1: Money Talk!
0: Good morning and welcome to the beginning of a holiday-shortened week here in Hong Kong. It's Monday the 22nd of May and this is Money Talk, a warm welcome from me, Peter Lewis. You can listen to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. If you go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, you'll find all the links to your favourite podcast apps there. This program is also on Facebook, Peter Lewis Money Talk is the page, and I'm on Twitter at moneytalkr R3. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, leaders of the G7 countries met in Hiroshima, Japan over the weekend amid a focus on Ukraine and tensions with China. In the final communique, they condemned Russia and made their strongest condemnation ever of China over what they say are rising military and economic security threats posed by Beijing. The statement criticized China over everything from its militarization of the South China Sea to its use of so-called economic coercion. Beijing has offered to help the Central Asian region build closer transport and energy ties through the construction of gas pipelines and railways in President Xi's first in-person China-Central Asia Summit. At the two-day gathering in Xi'an in China, leaders from Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan gathered at the same time as G7 leaders met in Japan. President Xi urged the leaders to help jointly build the Belt and Road Initiative and deepen interconnectivity. Hopes of an agreement on the U.S. debt ceiling limit before the financial markets open this morning have receded after House Speaker Kevin McCarthy accused the White House of moving backwards in the negotiations over a budget pact. Mr. McCarthy said, I don't think we're going to be able to move forward until the president can get back in the country. President Joe Biden returned from the G7 summit in Japan late on Sunday. And boss operator Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing, which runs the third largest stock market in Asia, will introduce yuan share trading on June the 19th, cementing its role as the world's leading offshore yuan hub. Financial firms can, over the next few weeks, start applying to become market makers for dual currency trading counters that will allow investors to freely trade stocks in Hong Kong dollars or the yuan more than 20 Hong Kong listed companies, including Alibaba, Antisports, Guishou Technology, and HKEX itself, have applied for yuan share counters. On today's programme, I'm joined by LaShar, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA Research, and Alex Frew McMillan, a freelance writer and Asia columnist for TheStreet.com. And with a view from mainland China, is Yanan Wu, the Chairman and CEO of Surfing Group in Singapore. Debt-stealing concerns and regional bank worries returned to send stocks on Wall Street lower Friday at the end of what was a positive week for U.S. equities. Gains from earlier in the session Friday evaporated after Republican lawmakers walked out of negotiations to avert a U.S. debt default. The S&P 500 closed 0.1% lower on Friday at 4,192, but gained 1.6% over the week. The Nasdaq Composite fell 0.2% to 12,658, but chalked up its fourth straight week of gains with a 3% advance. It was the best weekly performance since March for both indices. The Dow dropped 109 points, or a third of a percent, To 33,427, it was the underperformer of the week, rising just 0.4%. And meanwhile, the KBW Regional Banking Index slumped 2.2% on a news report that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told the heads of large lenders that more mergers may be needed in the banking sector. Asian stocks, with the exception of Chinese markets, were higher on Friday. Japanese equities led the gains, rising for the sixth straight day. The Nikkei 225 rallied almost 5% over the week and finished Friday at its highest level in nearly 33 years in one of the world's best rallies of 2023. The topics gained 3.1% over the week, maintaining levels not seen since August 1990. Greater China markets, meanwhile, bucked the trend, with Anababa results weighing on Hong Kong stocks. The Hang Seng Index dropped 277 points, or 1.4%, to a two-month low of 19,451 on Friday, and the index lost 0.9% for the week. The tech index fell 2.4%, with Baidu, JD.com and Metruan all falling around 4%. Alibaba tumbled 6% after the e-commerce giants posted disappointing quarterly earnings due to sluggish consumer spending in China. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite fell 0.4% to 3,284, but the index was up a third of a percent for the week. And futures markets are indicating a small rise of just 0.1% at the open for the Hang Seng this morning. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at Peter peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis. Welcome, our guests. We have with us Lashar, who is Asia Chief Economist from BBVA Research. Morning to you, Shark. Morning, Peter. And also with us is Alex Frew McMillan, a freelance writer and Asia columnist for TheStreet.com. Morning to you, Alex.
1: Good morning, Peter.
0: Um, Let's start with the G7. Leaders of the G7 countries met in Hiroshima, Japan over the weekend. A bit of focus on Ukraine and tensions with China. Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky made a high-profile arrival at the summit on Saturday, prompting the leaders to issue their final statement early so they could meet with President Zelensky on Sunday. In the communique, they condemned Russia and made their strongest condemnation ever of China over what they say are rising military and economic security threats posed by Beijing. The statement criticised China over everything from its militarisation of the South China Sea to its use of so-called economic coercion. And the statement went on to warn countries who use trade as a weapon that they will face consequences. The leaders said, we will push for a level playing field for our workers and companies. We will seek to address the challenges posed by China's non-market policies and practices, which distort the global economy. And they said they would also foster resilience to economic coercion. And on Sunday, the UK Prime Minister said, China is the biggest challenge of our age. And um, Shark, what do you make of, make of this? It's rather depressing, isn't it? Uh, yes, I think...
2: Um uh, from perspective the Chinese, I have to say that many of these accusation are not true. Okay, mm-hmm. but the problem is not how people uh you perceive you. Okay, for for the general public of these countries, G seven or even uh most of the people in the rest of the world I think they perceive China they perceive all these uh, facts from this news medium from this uh, g7 case so China must be uh, very careful to tackle all these uh, situations because uh, all these uh, g7 Countries are big buyers of, of Chinese products. If all mm. these big buyers have such a big complaint against you, you need to make some adjustment. You need to appease them, let them know that we need to continue to do this business okay, together. Uh, so on the economic side, I think that's a not good signal for China. Mm. But at the same time, I also noticed that uh, now they stop using the word like decoupling. They said uh, de-risking.
0: And what's the difference, decoupling versus (laughs) de-risking? I I, I struggle to understand what the difference is between the two. I think that decoupling is a much bigger
2: project. That means they want to exclude (laughs) everything with the Chinese uh, element from this uh, supply chain. But now they realize that that's impossible okay mm. the risking i think they only focus on some critical supply chains maybe chips okay mm. or maybe uh, in future i don't know in these uh, ai uh, supply chains or in some supply chains uh, like uh, uh, evs okay they try to re- reduce their uh, reliance on, on china
0: so this yeah. is a more targeted decoupling if you like that the US talks about this is really the EU isn't it Ursula von der Leyen likes using this term de-risking. Yes Um, Alex, when it comes to economic coercion, this is the accusation of the G7. It's not totally without foundation, is it? Because Beijing hasn't been afraid to to slap trade sanctions on countries that have upset them in the past. They did it to South Korea when they went and bought a US missile defence system. They did it to Australia. Um, They did it more recently to to Lithuania when um, uh, Taiwan opened a representative office under the name um, Taiwan. So um, there is some ground for this, isn't there?
1: Yes, there is. I mean, China definitely likes to throw its economic weight around for political purposes. So, I do think they have a point, and I thought that this communicator was particularly uh, hardly worded when it came to China. There were, you know, 20 references to China, and uh, it was very explicit for instance, by saying that there's no legal basis for China's expansive merit on claims in the South China Sea, uh, and, and stating that they G7 opposes China's militarization activities in the region. So, um, yeah, it, it was quite uh, quite harshly worded. And um, so I was interested to see what the Chinese reaction might be. An early indication, you know, if you go to the Global Times and take a look there, is that, uh, that they're characterizing it as an echo chamber of U.S. talking points. Mm. So saying that it's kind of being co-opted by, by the United States. But I, I do think that the G7, has a point here. And I do think that it was surprisingly pointed on this topic and, and quite specific, which is quite, quite unusual. So they, they really did attempt to, to tackle what what's a growing issue. And just to sort of uh, address the topic of de-risking versus decoupling, I mean, I think under de-risking, you look to diversify your production base and, and your markets, but you could still be producing goods in China Decoupling suggests, you know, you are not making anything in China at all, uh, which is obviously going to be impossible for a company like Apple. But, uh, but Apple can expand its production in India and in Vietnam uh, and other nations and thereby de-risk its exposure to China.
0: Mm. Uh, when it comes to the economic coercion, Alex, I mean, the G7 and in particular the United States, it, its own hands aren't clean, are they? I mean, it, it's not afraid to use economic coercion itself.
1: Well, I mean, obviously, they're trying to put in place uh, well, they have put in place, a lot of sanctions on, on Russia and are attempting to use economic coercion to get Russia to, to fall in line on Ukraine. Um, so uh, that's true. Um, but I think, generally speaking, they have been stressing the need for a you know, a free and open Indo-Pacific and free and open trade. They use those uh, words and phrases uh, several times. So uh, I think they are committed to, to pushing for that. Um, and I think the, the claim, for instance, that China's made in the South China Sea are an overreach, and it should not have militarized these islands that it's built out of.
0: Of coral reefs. Well it, it was significant that they invited to the G7 some of these South China Sea and South Pacific countries like Indonesia, like Vietnam, like the Cook Islands. Clearly uh, they were sending a message directly to those countries.
1: That's right um, and uh, I think Indonesia has the head of uh, ASEAN this year so they were also there on that basis. But um, um, yeah they, they did uh, invite some some regional. Uh, I wouldn't say rivals, but countries that have
0: issues with China, let's say. Shark, what about supply chains? The G7 talked about supply chains, didn't they, for important goods like minerals and and semiconductors. They want to strengthen those supply chains. Did you hear any specific details at all about how they plan to do that?
2: Uh, I don't know the detail, but uh, according to the previously issued documents and their previous uh, uh, discussion. So we know that they want to reduce their reliance on China, especially on these uh, rail earth things, and also uh, they want to reduce their reliance uh, on specific supply chain with China. As I said, maybe for these uh, EV things, they could become new ones because uh, these uh, uh, semiconductor things have been for quite a while. So mm. it's not a surprise. But uh, I think that recently we do observe that uh, the Chinese uh, EV export have the increased substantially. Now, more and more uh, Western countries, uh, they become concerned of this one. Uh, I think in future, maybe they will make some moon on
0: this one. Yeah. there was a lot of um, there's been bans of exports and chip technology hasn't there to China and we've had um, Japan and the Netherlands join in we heard yesterday that now uh, the Chinese have hit back at Micron banning their products from uh, t- sensitive areas that they, because they say these products Micron's chips are a national security risk it just seems to be escalating doesn't it this is the first time we've seen China target a US semiconductor company like this Exactly, I think
2: the, uh, previously we see that the U.S. and, uh, maybe Japan and other countries, they make man- many moves. Uh- Against China, but now China start to fight back. I don't know the result, why the China can uh, get some advantage from this one or not, but uh, personally, I think this are kind of the uh, escalation, so they will have a bigger damage on this global supply chain. So, mm. yeah.
0: It isn't, I mean, one of the depressing things about the G7 statement was there wasn't really much of a, a vision. Was there a, a global vision about, okay, these are our complaints, these are the things that we don't like, these are the things that we're not going to do, but how is that? Are we going to improve relations uh, with China going forward and and make sure that supply chains aren't damaged, that trade and investment can continue? There wasn't really any of that in the statement, was there?
2: Yeah, it's a real pity because uh, now they don't talk about these long term things. I think uh, there's uh, many issues that they need to involve China to solve, even Mm. including this uh, uh, peace uh, things, including these uh, uh, climate change things, uh, uh, maybe anti-terrorism, all these things that uh, they need to involve China. But unfortunately, now what they're talking about is uh, how to contain China, okay? mm. how to de-risk China. Uh, so um, I think uh, on a positive note, I don't think this kind of the communique, although we think this is very strong, I don't think they can hold for long term, because they didn't have a long term vision, as you said, that they didn't have a long term relation design for China and the rest of the world. So personally, I think uh, uh, chi- definitely China need to adjust. But in future, I think G7, they need to adjust themselves as well. They need to know how to coexist with China.
0: Mm. Alex, did, are you worried about that? There really wasn't much of a, a vision, was there, about how to repair relations, how to make the global economies more secure, how to make supply chains secure. None of that appeared there in the statement.
1: Yes, besides China, you, know, you can run down that communique, and it then went on to talk about North Korea. Sudan, Myanmar, Afghanistan, Iran, Israel Palestine, chemical weapons, Yemen, you know, listed all of these uh, challenges and issues and problems. Um, And I think that is one area that people have criticized the G7. You know, it was supposed to be talking about artificial intelligence, for instance, um, at this summit for the first time. And uh, I guess observers weren't too optimistic that they'd be able to come to any conclusion because. To date, they've really failed to address issues like uh, cyber security and and cyber weapons, for instance. Um, And they haven't really come up with anything that forward thinking on any of these current topics, let's say. So it would have been interesting to see them address artificial intelligence a bit more specifically and uh, at least sort of maybe suggest some frameworks or something like that 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 could be put in place or, or guidelines for dealing with that these kind of new technologies that are coming forward, Um, I I do think that there should be more of an emphasis on that in in trade deals that are signed as well. So, yeah, it it was a little bit um, (laughs) of a depressing communique that outlined a bunch of different problems without proposing too many solutions.
0: Mm. Um, Shark, does does anything that was said in the communique affect China's economy, either positively or negatively? Uh, Personally, I think...
2: just communicate okay well china will continue to do their own things they will continue to grow their economies and now they need to have a, a stronger economic recovery okay uh, i i really don't think that will uh, have a substantial effect on on china mm-hmm. uh, or on g7 so i think the g7 they it's the a rich country they just get together to make a big complaint against the china but one uh, day uh, do their own things i think uh, for United States, they have our own interest, but for other countries like uh, European countries, uh, Germany, Italy, uh, France, I think they have their own agenda. Although they can form together to make some communicates uh, to criticize China, but when they do this economic relations with China, I think they have the different agendas.
0: Now, Beijing has offered to help the Central Asian region build closer transport and energy ties through the construction of gas pipelines and railways in President Xi's first-in-person China-Central Asia Summit. At the two-day summit in Xi'an in China, leaders from Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan gathered at the same time as G7 leaders met in Japan. Trade, infrastructure and regional security were top of the agenda. And Central Asia is increasingly enthusiastic about improving infrastructure connectivity with China. The long-awaited China-Kyrgyzstan-Uzbekistan Railway is expected to begin construction this year. And Uzbekistan is also building a rail line to Pakistan, a key China ally. And Turkmenistan has pledged to expedite the construction of the so-called Line B of the Central Asia-China gas pipeline. Alex, let me ask you about uh, this. First of all, how much of this is, first of all, a reaction to the G7 with China saying, look, we can also do our own summits and have our own relationships as well. But at the same time, um, is this a strategic area for China becoming more and more important?
1: Definitely. I mean, it was very interesting to see uh, Xi and China choose to engage with the the um, uh, the for a sort of like a competing summit, if you will. And, of course, you know, this all goes back to the Belt and Road Initiative and the idea of new Silk Roads that, uh, at least over land, would pass through these Central Asian nations. So uh, it's definitely an area that China would like to improve uh, trade links with and communication with and uh, improve the ability to trade through those countries and on into Eastern and Western Europe. And, of course, there's an opportunity for uh, china to engage more closely or have greater influence in these former soviet republics at a time that russia is really preoccupied with the war in ukraine so i think china is looking to you know sort of step into that void and bolster its alliances with these nations which you know really are are not getting a lot of investment from the west so uh, china is a very important partner for them i mean Economically and, and even in population terms, but they're not huge countries necessarily, but, uh, it, you know, they're, they're China's neighbors or near neighbors, so uh, an important area that, that China would like to sort of uh, deepen links with.
0: Um, Shark, the two-way trade between uh, China and Central Asia, it rose 40% last year. It's hit $70 billion. Kazakhstan leads the way with about $30 billion, $31 billion, of two-way trade. This is not to be sniffed at, is it? These are becoming more and more important countries, and obviously energy and mineral-rich countries as well.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think uh, uh, from these countries, of course, their economic size are not that big. But uh, as Alex said, they, they're very important in terms of uh, uh, their uh, energy and the minerals. Uh, I think that for some key minerals and energies, uh, China can uh, depend uh, on these can- countries to diversify their energy uh, sources. In the past, uh, Russian, uh, they have a very big influence on these countries. Uh, so China, now they have the chance to uh, to, to expand their influence in these countries. And also, I think uh, uh, they are the neighbours of the China. I think uh, if they have a stable and uh, a good developing relations economically, I think this is very good for China to stabilise uh, the relation with these uh, Central Asia countries. That's um, a very good one. And where does
0: Europe fit into this? Because Europe also wants relations with these countries as well, doesn't it? Uh, I think
2: they... Partially because the G7 they are against China now, okay? So they they need more friends more than ever, okay? Mm. So in the past maybe uh these countries uh, they're not very close to China because as I said they are. Uh, heavily influenced by russian but now they have the chance to make more friends here
0: um alex are, are we seeing sort of the world split into two blocks we've got the g7 now and its allies some of whom were at the uh, the g7 meeting and then we have the so-called global south which is sort of led by china um and trying to develop relations with uh developing economies in latin america africa the south pacific um is this what we're witnessing the beginning of
1: well, I mean, yeah, Xi Jinping, when he made his first trip out of China after COVID, uh, went to uh, Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, I think it was, those his first visits. So uh, he certainly has made those countries uh, uh, you know, a pointed area of focus for him. Um, the global south, I think many people would like to engage with, but China has been much more forthcoming with development aid and investment and infrastructure investment. And, you know, there's a quid pro quo most of the time there. It, it, it offers to build, you know, key infrastructure in return for mining contracts, uh, energy contracts. Um, but, you know, I, I think uh, fair fair. You know, the, uh, the global south has largely been abandoned by, you know, its former colonial um, powers. And there hasn't been enough investment in, in Africa, for instance. So, mm-hmm. Uh, if China stepping into that void, um, you know, it, it deserves to get some kind of re- reward or return out of those kinds of economic relationships. Um, I'm not sure that the world is dividing into into you know a, a new sort of Soviet bloc versus other, other blocs, but certainly we do see, I think, autocracies on one hand and democracies on the other, and those are probably the fundamental. Uh, differences that,
0: that play the, the biggest role. Can um, countries like these Central Asian uh, republics have relations with both, both with China and the West? Because the West is courting them as well, isn't it? The EU foreign minister's been to visit Kazakhstan, so has US Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken. So they're sort of in demand, aren't they? These countries.
1: They, they can, but China has you know the geographic advantage of being uh, very close to most of these countries. So. It can build these pipelines. It can build railroads, you know, from China directly into these nations. So it can really have a direct uh, effect. And let's not forget that most of these countries are quasi-democratic, if not uh, completely autocratic. So they have leaders who are also strongmen, who she uh, and and when he's not otherwise occupied, Vladimir Putin can butter up to.
0: Um, Shark, final word to you. I just want to get your thoughts about last week's economic activity data that we had out of the mainland. We had retail sales, industrial production, fixed asset investment. What are your thoughts on the economy now having seen that?
2: Yes, I think uh, if you look at this uh, industry output data, you, if you look at this uh, fixed investment data, they all miss the expectations. So I read the detail of the, all these data. So my conclusion is that we already seen the recovery of, uh, from pandemic is coming but unfortunately we haven't seen the recovery of the property market okay Mm -hmm. if you look at all the bad performance uh, items they are related to the property market in china if you look at the service sectors these uh, tourism entertaining uh, industries uh, they perform very good very good better than people expected but if you look at uh, all these items related to property market the investment in real estate and the related retail sales uh uh, like uh, home appliance, all these things, they don't perform very good. I, I blame the property market. So, so that means in future, Chinese authorities, must find more ways to stimulate these s- specific sectors.
0: So until that sector recovers, you don't see the, the overall economy um, improving too much this year?
2: Uh, I think that, yes, it's very difficult to imagine that you have a very bad uh, property sector
0: and then you have a very strong economy. That's true, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, well, thank you both very much. You heard there Lashar, who is Asia Chief Economist from BBVA, Alex Rue-McMillan, who is a freelance writer and Asia columnist for TheStreet.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. I'm joined now by Dr. Yanan Wu, who is chairman and the CEO of Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore. Morning, Yanan.
3: Morning, Peter. How are you this morning?
0: I'm very, the- very well, thank you. Been following closely the activities over the weekend at the G7 and also the China-Central Asia summits. Let's start, first of all, with the G7. What was your thoughts after hearing that communique from the G7 leaders? In fact, two separate communiques they issued, a large amount of it focusing on China and talking about economic coercion and ways to, to resist that. What are your thoughts about the state of um, the West and China's relations?
3: Yeah, uh, you're right. Uh, there was uh, two versions of uh, the uh, G7 summit communicate. I think earlier uh, there was the uh, communicated regarding the China threat and China issues was uh, uh, strongly, uh, you know, refuted by the Chinese government and also Minister of Foreign Affairs. So, uh, so I think uh, in the final version, uh, we can see the tone uh, versus China was uh, reduced quite a bit but rather focus on the supply chain stability and also decoupling risk. Uh, of course, I think the turning point was uh, at uh, the, the Ukrainian president uh, Zelensky uh, visiting, you know, at the last minute for the G7 summit in Japan. So, uh, so I think the tone and the theme of the G7 still regarding the russian Korean war and also, you know, how to end the war and also the, you know, sanction against Russia uh, collectively. So I think the whole uh, the theme of the summit is still about the worrisome uh, geopolitical risk and also the supply chain, you know, uh, decoupling. And that uh, will probably have a greater impact on the global economic recovery, especially, you know, on the inflation uh with regarding the commodity and the food prices, you know, that's still draw a big concern uh by the Fed and other uh, central banks.
0: Are China and the West damaging the supply chains with, with some of their measures? We've seen these sanctions that the U.S. has put um, on technology companies. And then yesterday we saw the response from China. Um, it's banned Microns products um, in areas that it yep. regards as sensitive, saying that uh, its chips pose a national security risk. How, how big um, an impact is that going to have on the supply chain for, for chips?
3: yes uh the uh, if you look at the semiconductor side sector that's uh, still a big area of uh, the conflicts and the sanctions uh, of course uh, you know uh, more than 60% production you know still uh, in the semiconductor still uh, in produced in outside uh, you know china so okay. that uh, uh, you know so that's posed a big uh, you know supply chain uh, you know, uh, for the uh, demand from by the China side, uh, so the micron is a, a new issue. Uh, although, uh, you know, the national security is still a big concern. Uh, so, the China want to, uh, you know, have the, its own national uh, semiconductor industry to revitalize, so that it doesn't depend on uh, the uh, so-called Western, uh, you know, supply for the semiconductor and chips. Uh, but of course, that take, will take a long time to, to uh, produce its own national uh, semiconductor and also the supply chain. And on the other hand, I think uh, you know, the sanction on Russia and also uh, its uh, collective efforts uh, also uh, produce a threat. Uh, for you know, for India as well. So, so India, of course, uh, uh, imported a lot of energy from Russia. So that uh, in the G7 summit, communicate also mentioned about the uh, the Indians. Uh, uh, risk uh, about
0: this decoupling, mm. uh, and India is in an interesting position, isn't it? Because obviously, yeah, um, it relies on Russia for its own uh, security. Russia provides it with weapons. It obviously wants to develop relations with China, but also um, it's it also wants to develop relations with with the West. And, and as you mentioned, it's benefiting economically mm. from these sanctions because it's buying a huge amount of Russian oil at very cheap prices at the moment. Uh-huh.
3: Yeah, it's a kind of a balance. Uh, I would say for India right now. Or, or the, uh, on the one hand, it relies on the energy import from Russia, so uh, trying to maintain a relatively friendly relationship because he has got historical reasons uh, from uh, with Russia. On the other hand, also uh, it, India also have rely heavily. Uh, also want to produce a second, uh, you know, global supply chain outside China. You know, mm. according to the U.S. and Western standards, if you look at Apple, right, the uh, you know five percent Apple products uh, right now. Uh, you know, owned, uh, owned, produced outside China, ninety five percent produced inside China. So uh, we can see Apple start to ship uh, or ch- transfer the supply chain, you know, from China to India, try to produce a second uh, supply chain production chain line for its own Apple products. So China, India will benefit uh, from this uh, supply chain transfer. Uh, so, so, so I think it's a very tricky position that how India playing plays between Russia and the Western countries uh, to also to gain the economic momentum from its supply chain uh, dividend for the next decade.
0: Is India the market to watch, do you think, over the coming years? Because obviously, it's now got the world's largest population, um, and 30% yeah. of that population are young. They're under the age of uh, 30. It's a huge economy and growing very fast as well. Strategically, it's in an important place. As you mentioned, these supply chains are expanding through mm-hmm. India. Is India going to be the market to watch that we should keep an eye on?
3: Yes. Uh, it, India definitely, I think, the engine uh, for the next global economic growth uh, Uh, you know, uh, for the next, uh, you know, ten or twenty years, uh, as you mentioned, the age demographic dividend and labor dividend, and also uh, this supply chain dividend, uh, will you know both uh, you know uh, will all contribute to the economic uh, momentum for India. And uh, the recent uh, issue of economics uh, also posed their, you know, uh, the the addition on peak China, so called. You know, basically, I think the demographic dividend of China is. Uh, uh, vanish, vanish so it's really uh, that China has to you know uh, build its own you know national uh, dependent uh, supply chain and also some uh, key uh, industry sectors so all the supply chain probably will have seen China has enjoyed since WTO, you know, 20 years ago, will probably gradually move away from China. And India definitely will want to capture uh, this uh, big uh, transfer. Uh, but of course, I think India also face some uh, challenges as well, because the education uh, still need to catch up for the labors and also infrastructure, you know, has to... Uh, rebuild and uh, revitalized so that they can, you know, have a better shipping and uh, inf- uh, li- uh, logistic uh, facilities uh, for uh, getting the supply chain tran- uh, transfer.
0: So India is one of the countries that's been courted by both uh, the West and, and China, and they're all trying to develop better relationships with it. The other area that's in focus at the moment is Central Asia, uh, the Stans, yep. Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan. Um, yeah. China's had the summit, the Central Asian summit with those five, um, those five countries. How important a region is this going to be to both China and maybe also to the West as well?
3: Yeah, interestingly, the eh? timing—the timing uh, for Mm. this uh, China Central Asia summit is uh, concurrent with uh, the G7 summit in Japan. Of course, the uh, the location of the China uh, Central Asia summit is in this uh, uh, Asian, one of the Asian's capital, uh, Xi'an in China. Actually, is one of also the place where I was born. Oh, Uh, okay. So, yeah, 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 so that's a very (laughs) coincidence. Yeah,
0: it's also the end of the the old um, Silk Road, isn't it? So it's quite symbolic yeah, that this uh, that this summit was held in uh, Xi'an.
3: Yeah, so it's really the summit of a Silk Road, if you will, uh, for this uh, interesting timing. Uh, well, I think the the one of the you know uh, perspective you can look at is uh, Russia and Ukraine you know, still fighting this war and the Russians' influence in Central Asia was really, I think, reduced because of its heavy, uh, you know, uh, the uh, efforts on the uh, war with uh, Ukraine. So that gives some Strategic timing for how China can have a better relationship or gain some, uh, uh, you know, strategic position in the Central Asia. Uh, you know, Central Asia also, you know, has lots of energy and food. You know, agriculture. So I think that's from a secular point of view, and uh, China want to build this uh, strategic relationship. Uh, if China, Russia, you know, uh, influence in this region is grow, is gradually uh, diminished, so so that can help, uh, you know, supply chain uh, in terms of energy and agriculture. Uh, if a Western sanction, you know, or restriction on China became become more serious, so so I think China want to. Uh, have uh, multiple, uh, structure, uh, uh, positions. You know, on the one hand is Central Asia for commodities. On the other hand is Southeast Asia, uh, for its, uh, you know, merchandising and, mm-hmm. uh, manufacturing, uh, supply chain, uh, uh, transfer. So, so those are two regions probably are the key, uh, you know uh, regions for China's in the next uh, decade.
0: So I presume also we're going to see a lot of infrastructure projects between China and these Central Central Asian e- uh, economies. We're going to see new rail lines, gas pipelines, and and so on. We're going to yeah. see a lot of activity.
3: Yeah, a lot of uh, energy infrastructure were built. You know, uh, you know, China already have shifted uh, natural gas pipeline from Russia, but Central Asia will be the uh, diversified uh, pipeline uh, location. So uh, given the historical reasons, I think uh, Central Asia also want to maintain a neutral position in this region.
0: Sorry, let me just finally get your thoughts on on China's economy overall. We had a lot of data last week on retail sales, industrial production, fixed asset investment. What's what's your thoughts Mm -hmm. on the state of the Chinese economy?
3: Uh, I think there's, uh, you know, talks about China, whether going to deflation uh, because of uh, the recent CPI numbers and PPI number also very weak uh, in April. You know, CPI uh, April was uh, up 1.1 percent year year-on-year and the PPI was down 3.6% uh, year-on-year, so uh, for whether it's from a, you know, producer price or from a consumer price, uh, so economic recovery is still slow, and uh, you know, uh, is uh, gradual. If you look at uh, May Golden Week, uh, the uh, the, tour- the number of tourists, of course, have recovered was quite significantly from uh, the previous year, uh, but the spending of um, the tourist industry by the consumer is still very rational and very, uh, you know, uh, still uh Weekly recovered, so I think uh, that uh, draws some concern on the economic recovery quality uh, and also uh as you mentioned if the fixing in, uh, investment uh they slow down uh, uh, mainly because uh, the debt burden you know by the local government vehicles uh, mounted uh, to high level uh the current uh, the the loans uh, Raised by the local government, vehicle has soared to you know 66 trillion yuan, which is roughly seven trillion U.S. dollar. So that's a uh, you know uh, more than ten. That's about half of uh, uh, China's GDP. Uh, so so that's uh, already uh, you know uh, almost double from mm. 2018 level. So I think the debt problem still. Is a big constraint on fixed investment and how where the revenue come from. Uh, because the local government uh, really the, sell, the, the, the revenue for selling selling the land uh, has down about thirty percent, you know, uh, according to from the previous level. So, mm-hmm. so how to uh, re- refinance this uh, inv- fixing investment, and also what's the new you know government vehicles, uh, you know, debt uh, source uh, also uh, you know is a question to to be uh, to be sorted out. So that's uh, can be constrained for fixed investment.
0: Yeah, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Peter. Thank you again. That's Yanan Wu, who is the chairman and CEO of Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore. Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves in my daily newsletter. Take a look at Peter Lewis, moneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Joining me then will be Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Aldcroft, James Wong, Chief Executive Officer at Cathasia Securities, and our U.S. Economics Correspondent, Writer and Broadcaster, Barry Wood. Bye for now. Money Talk.